This is Jared Fishman, and you're listening to the 20-Sided Gamified Podcast. The past 20 years, I've blended games and education together in the classroom. I'm a history teacher, a game-based learning specialist, and I serve on the board of HMGS NextGen Inc. and the North American Simulations and Games Association. I'm looking to broaden my own knowledge of game-based learning by talking to the people that do it best. Pull up a chair, get your dice ready, and enjoy the ride. All right. Hello, friends. Good morning. This is Jared here from the 20-Sided Gamified Podcast. Um, Really exciting one today. I know I say that all the time and probably use that phrase all the time, but this is is an exciting moment for me, selfishly. Um, In terms of where we are recording right now, so it's 10 a.m. in the States. My buddy here, um, who I'll introduce in a second, is over in England, so afternoon for him. in terms of what's going on here, so a little bit of a gaming weekend here at the Next Gen HQ. So we've been playing a lot of Epic uh, 40K this weekend, which also does sort of connect to the guests today because they specialize in kind of small scale minis. So when did I first run into Pendrocket Miniature? So here's the story. So growing up in New York, every summer we would, at the time, this is like 2007, 2008, 2009, like right around that time, we would always make a, um, a journey out to the pit of hell, uh, Long Island. Um which I always used to joke back in the day, like we probably should have just let the Germans have it. No offense to Long Island folks. I know you'll probably take offense anyway because it's a horrible thing to say, but um, it's just the traffic. The traffic would always be brutal, but why would we be going there? We would be basically taking a trip to, at the time, was like the best gaming store I'd ever been to, which is the War Store. Um, and I know I don't think the War Store is in existence anymore, but we used to go to buy 40K figures back in the day. So this is like 2007, 8, 9. And what I loved about the war store is they also sold historical miniatures. And I kind of, that was kind of my bread and butter going, growing up. And that's when I ran into um, 10 millimeter figures for the first time. And Pendrock and miniatures, um, again, like, I, you know, I don't need to lie about this. They really are like one of my favorite companies, especially for 10 millimeter figures. Um, the kind of detail that are on them, um, the affordability, just everything about it. And also to swell leon's head who is in the zoom space right now um it it meant a lot to me that when i was running my game club um he always was so cool with me like in terms of the orders that i would place with them he'd always throw a couple of free packs in and i would use those miniatures for my game club so there is that sort of connection there um so officially um we've got leon pengilly here from pendrock and miniatures and uh yeah we're just gonna we're just gonna shoot the breeze a little hi leon I that was really long-winded. <laughs> I'm doing okay, man. No, no worries. Sir. How are you? I'm doing okay. How are things in England at the moment? <laughs> it's okay. They, uh, it stopped raining briefly. <laughs> I was just going to say. Okay, it has good. been raining for about two weeks nonstop. Good. Yeah, that's awesome. Gotcha. Well, I'm glad, meaning I'm glad that it's not raining anymore. So, um, so sorry for feeding, you know, just swelling your ego enormously about my uh, love for your minis. But yeah, I, as I was saying before we uh, got on, um, yeah, I've got so many of them downstairs. I love them, you know, they're just for their affordability and also just like how beautiful they are, you know, so kudos to you. Uh, I've the wall store. Uh, sadly, uh, Neil, who ran the wall store, he passed a few years back. Though. He did, yeah. Um, I remember we, we started with a guy who disappeared. I can't remember his name now. He, he was our first US distributor and he started producing under license and he it all went a bit south. He disappeared with thousands of stock. We lost it all. It was a really? rocky moment in 2006, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And Neil came along and he took up uh, the button. 
and we supplied Neil and after a while, short while, a company called Great Home Games in, in Texas. Okay. Um, and then, yes, that we Neil passed, and, and these days we work with Dark Horse Hobbies. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's our US kind of no, guy. No, that's awesome. Yeah. So for somebody that might not know, because in terms of my audience, Leon, so I mean, we've got teachers that listen to this, um, gamers, like people who play role-playing games, people who play miniatures games, like all different sort of walks of life, so to speak. I mean, for somebody that doesn't know what Pendrock Miniatures is, I mean, could you give like just a brief, um, maybe just a little a brief, like where you are in the present about what your company does? Yeah. So we, we started off as a 10 mil specialist, so 10 mil miniatures. Uh, and that was our bread and butter for a long time. Uh, we kind of grew the ranges uh, over the past uh, 31 years now, since 1992. Uh, since 2009, we've kind of diversified a little. We've brought in more scenery items, paint spaces, decals, lights, things that just add to the business. And we've also moved into some other scales as well. The 10 mil has always been our core market. Yeah. Uh, these days, we've got about 4,500 products in 10 mil. There's about another 3,000 of, of other third party uh, and other scale products on the site. And uh, yeah, there's a lot more planned. Yeah, that's an enormous amount of different possibilities of things that people could purchase. Um, yeah. In terms of like your company itself, like, I mean, do you have a really big operation? I mean, are we talking about dozens of people that work for you or less than that or more than that? Uh, there's currently 10. So okay. um, we've got forecasting guys. We've got two guys that work in the laser room doing uh, FDF and 3D printing. Uh, we've got two packaging people, and then we've got me and my wife that kind of look after the management and the admin, and deal with the accounts and the orders and the emails and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, 10 of them in there, and then outside of that, we've got another five sculptors who are kind of freelance guys, and they work for us as and when we need them. Gotcha. Quite a few cogs in the machine these days. No, gotcha. So... I don't know, to me, like, other than, like, Warmaster, because I remember Warmaster in the late 90s as being, like, you know, 10 mil. Um, what drew you to that particular scale? Because it is a very unique scale, you know? Yeah, in my opinion, was, at least. Yeah, that, that's a question for my dad. Now, he, he just liked the scale himself as a gamer. So I think the first ones he came across would have been, it was had some minifigs or the old AIM line. Um, yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah, up in the States with Tom Dye. It was something like that. He'd just seen a few figures in 10 mil. He thought, I quite like these. They kind of sit quite nicely between the 6 and the 15. They've got more detail than the 6, they're more affordable than the 15. Uh, and he just liked it himself, so he commissioned a few ranges. And that just <laughs> exploded from there, I guess. So your dad is the one who started the company, and then you kind yes, of took yeah, over? That's how it yeah, worked? Yeah, he He's been gaming since the, the 70s. Okay, gotcha. Um, he started off as a lot did with the old airfix kits and oh, bonding, sure, bonding everything together to make whatever army was he wanted. Right, like, right. That's know. old school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah There's yeah. so many. It's funny. <laughs> like I've done like 20 of these podcasts so far, and it's like everybody really did. Like I hate to generalize, but everybody kind of started with airfix. Yeah, you know, yeah. and like cutting them apart if you needed to make something different, and melting them, and all yeah, kinds of stuff like that. Back then, there was only. There wasn't as many companies as there was now, but he's got lots of stories of his entire the, the Middlesbrough, the town we're from here. The full games club would hire a minibus, uh, and they'd all set off with three, four, five, six months' wages mm-hmm. in their pockets, and they'd drive three hours over the hills to Manchester in the kind of oh, Manchester, nice uh, to a show called Northern Military. 
Yeah. That was the big one in the UK at the time when they build air in the bus. Maybe stop at a few pubs on the way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, spend a huge amount of money, stop on a few pubs on the way back. Yeah. Uh, no, it's funny that. though. It's it's really yeah. funny because it sounds like what our journeys were like to the war store, you know, sitting and <laughs> sitting on the damn LIE, like going all the way to the very end of, you know, and then getting to Mecca essentially, you know. I remember looking at Wallstall on, on the maps when he first uh, approached us and just thinking, this is, like, this is miles away. It's a long strip. Yo, but um, I, I got to tell you though, like it, it was Mecca because I, I think it was basically because. At the time that we were going, we we started going in 99, so way before, um, I guess, you guys had started, um, you know, that partnership or whatever. But I remember going there when I graduated high school in, like, 99 for the first time, and it was more like a warehouse. It wasn't even really like a game, like a front of, a, like, a regular store. It was more like there was a garden center that I guess the Catapanos owned. And you, right. And you go to the garden store and then there's like this building attached to it. And then when you go in there, it was just like row after row of, of just un like boxed plastic, like, you know, 40 K stuff, like as far as, right. as the eye could see, I'm really not exaggerating either. Cause I know it sounds like I am, but it literally would always remind me if you've ever seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, um, and the very end where they go into the big factory right. where like the government, <laughs> the U S government puts all the secrets. That's literally what it was like. So you would just right. spend oodles of money. And then I think as time went on, they eventually did have their own like real storefront, but the warehouse was really, where was that? So what you have to imagine, Leon, if you never went there, is like when they were selling Pendrakon miniatures, they just had a giant wall just filled with your minis. So it was like really, yeah, it was really, really cool. So so wait, so let me ask something then. Did you game with your dad growing up? Or is it more, was that more his hobby? A few times. He, he had a couple of gaming friends and then kind of disappeared into the lot space uh, and they played the big historical game but it wasn't really my scene I quite enjoyed the painting side and I still try yeah. and not as much as I'd like but I do try and make dioramas and things uh, so that's my side of, of the hobby gotcha but the gaming not so much yeah, so that's the thing I don't mean to put you on the spot but <laughs> that you're the first person to own like a very reputable company, but don't actually like play a ton. That's yeah. that's a first. At least that maybe there's more people like that. I don't know. There, there might be a few of us hiding around. Uh, <laughs> gotcha. Maybe maybe they're not as open with it because I can understand that some people might expect that their gaming companies are run by gamers. Yeah, but, uh, but there's a few knocking about. Yeah. But you know what I wonder too? It must give you an interesting perspective though, because I hate to say it this way, right? I, but I will. Like, I mean, there are so many companies out there that mostly fail because the people aren't necessarily business oriented. Like they really like minis, but they don't know how to run a company. So you're probably the opposite. It's like you have that, that business savvy side. Like you're not like, and again, I, I hope I'm not putting words in your mouth, but like you're not me, you're not coming out with new lines because that's a game you really want to play or really like. It's more like you're running a business. Is that accurate yeah. or not so much? Or no, I think it is. We're, we're, I'm, we're not as easily distracted, I guess. Uh, we don't have that kind of butterfly. Oh, there's a shiny thing, and off we go yeah. and do that. Um, so yeah, we are quite in a fortunate position now that I, I've come into the business from previous management. Um, so I kind of brought that perspective into the business. And then my dad's uh, gaming knowledge and uh, knowledge of the industry kind of yeah. combined. And, and that, that was quite a good 
Um, what's the word? Symbiotic relationship, I guess. Gotcha. Um, and over the years, I've tried to make sure that we add people in that bring new skills uh, along the way. Um, yeah. I've, I've talked about it before in terms of new ranges, but whenever we look to make a new range, start the process of design work and producing all the reference material, that's not my wheelhouse. Obviously, I've not come into it with ground knowledge of, of certain periods of history. And I could read every book that is, but that would take me five years. Yeah, yeah. Or more. And I still wouldn't have the knowledge that somebody else has got because then that's been their period for 30 years of gaming. Right. We, we've started looking at, for about two years now, I always go and talk to people. Yeah. And bring people in who've got that experience and that knowledge. And then they help us. Um, prepare for the ranges because I, I fully understand my own limitations that I am not um, all encompassing knowledge of history and military and stuff and as much as I try to improve that yeah. I'm never going to hit the, the levels that these people already have no but I, I I mean that's probably like that's a, a great skill and characteristic as a person to have right like when you when you have the you know understanding of yourself and like what am I good at and what you know might be a shortcoming and then bringing people in to kind of support, I mean, I think that's great. Like, there are so many people out there that just think that they can do everything and you know try to do everything and then don't do it well. So you know, yeah. it's kind of a leadership yeah. thing, really. You know, did you yeah. think that you would be doing this? Like, did you think that you were going to be running a company like this when you were younger, or not this company? I guess. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I started off doing a law degree. That was my first. Oh, gotcha. Kind of foray. Uh, and then that didn't quite pan out. And then I moved into hospitality, so pubs and nightclubs and things. Yeah. Uh, I started doing management on that side, so managing uh, venues with teams of people. Oh, God, that yeah. My, that that must have been dream. wild. I've got some stories there. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, everything from Wild West style saloon punch ups. Yeah. I thought I thought that stuff only happened in the United States. <laughs> you, you Brits are peaceful, like <laughs> No, no, we're in No, apparently not. No, the Manchester is tough. Manchester is tough. Oh man, yeah. I'm yeah, a huge metalhead. I, yeah. I, I don't think I would choose to work there ever again. We yeah. With guns, uh, we had problems with drugs, we had guns on the dark. Yeah. Insane. I'm a huge metalhead, so there are so many great bands that came from that area. Um, yeah. Like I know Sabbath started there. Um, so many, so many bands, you know, because it is, it is great. It's a very industrial, right? Yeah, I think Sabbath of Birmingham. Um, oh my bad. Yeah, right, right, right. I think I'm confusing yeah, so Birmingham. Right. Is the kind of the '90s indie yeah. music that came from the yeah, I mean, even the music would set them off. Yeah, <laughs> gotcha. Night, you had to play Oasis uh, <laughs> as the, like the last song of the night that had to be played. Yeah, but the the our doorman bouncers, I guess, mm -hmm. uh, as you know them, they actually the band the DJ from playing any hip hop because as soon as it he started, you'd get two factions that would just clash. Oh God! Some, some unknown reason, and the fight would break out every week. Yeah. And got the point that we've been blacklisted by Manchester police. They, they, they right. wouldn't come out to us. Right. <laughs> we were getting. Gotcha. Great and, time no, I can imagine. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess like working, you know, doing Pendrock and miniatures must be like very like calming compared to maybe some of those other things you've seen. <laughs> it's 
certainly a different clientele. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, it's like nerds versus like people who like want to stab each other, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, right. There was there's interesting crossovers. I mean, a lot of yeah. especially local pubs, uh, local bars, you're building that same rapport. You get to know yeah. people come in, you're chatting with them on a daily basis. Yeah. Uh, and you're building a, a, a friend, friendly relationship. Uh, yeah. And I find that's the one thing that's carried over where most of our customers we meet on a regular basis, we chat to them on emails, we see them at the events. Yeah. And you do build up they're not just customers anymore, they're, they're your friends, yeah. you ask them how they're getting on, you check in on them. Right. Do you so, have a physical storefront that somebody could come in and buy miniatures directly? We do now, yeah. That was part of the new building we moved into. Yeah, so talk about that a little bit. Yeah, talk a little about that a, a bit. Like, so this new building that you guys have, what is it? What is it like? Oh, it's so much better than the previous ones. I mean, for yeah. a long time we just worked out of my uh, parents' house. Ninety-two mm-hmm. to two thousand twelve, uh, twenty years. It was just the house. Okay. It started as just the garage, and then it became the garage and the spare bedroom, and then it was the utility room, and then it was the loft, and then it suddenly. You know, 60% of the house was taken up by the business. So we moved to our first business premises, which was just um, like a breeze block, cuboid with a roof on it. Mm-hmm. And that was good. It allowed us the space to expand. And it served us well for about nine years. But we just outgrew it. You got to a point where you couldn't, you couldn't put anything down. Things on top right. Of it. And uh, yeah, we, we finally got to a position. We planned it for quite a few years. Uh, it was a bit awkward because it was during COVID. Yeah. Uh, when we wanted to make the move, uh, but we, we, we managed to put enough funds aside to pay for a commercial mortgage deposit. I think that works the same in the States where you need a yeah. down payment. Yeah. So um, we managed to get that done. And uh, yeah, COVID, there were a few spanners in the works. Yeah. In terms of banks and nervousness and lending, they weren't too keen. But we, we got it across the line, and now we have our own. Um, custom space that we've been yeah, able that's to awesome. do what we want with it. So we've got now casting rooms and molding rooms and laser rooms. Uh, we've got the shop rooms. We've got a separate gaming room that we can hire out to people. So we've, you know, we've got everything that I've, I've wanted to have for quite a long no, time. No, that's great. Do you live particularly far from where the building is? Uh, about 10 minutes drive. Oh, that's not bad at all. That's cool. Yeah, I'm not Very nice. Computing. I mean, yeah. commuting in the UK and commuting in the US are two completely different things. Yeah. So you guys, an eight-hour drive is, oh, that's all right. Yeah. It's, it was eight hours is the other end of the country. Yeah. That's the hardest thing to explain to people that have never been to the States, even if you've looked at a map, is just like not only just the sheer size, but like not to get too political or anything, but uh, we try to avoid that on this podcast, you know. <laughs> but um, I mean, it is like going to certain parts of the country, it is literally like going to a different country. And, yeah. and I think it's just the just the the sheer distance and the sheer size of the country. But I've, I've said this on this podcast before, like I will say about, you know, England, the Island, you know, that it is kind of cool that like people that I have talked to you guys, I think end up with game clubs that are way bigger than ours. Like where here, you know, in the States, like, you know, you might have a few, depending on where you live, you might have a few gamers near you, but like then for other folks, it might be in like hours and hours in the car to like, you know, meet up, you know, whereas I think for a lot of people in England, from what people tell me, you know, the commuting is a little bit easier. So you might have like 20 or 30 people in like a, a rented gaming space every month or every week or whatever, which is mm-hmm. kind of cool, you know? 
No, there's so, been a lot of games. We we run an event in November each year. Mm-hmm. About seven, eight hundred gamers. Oh, that's awesome. And, um, we have the, the local clubs come along and put games on for us. Yeah. And we'll have 20, 25 games put on by different war games clubs. And none of those 25 have traveled more than two, three hours. Yeah, that's incredible. And um, are these games strictly with Pendrock and miniatures? Or no, no, no. no. This it's is just really a, anything. It's, it's, it's a war games convention. Like you oh, guys okay. Little wars, cold wars. Yeah. Obviously on a much smaller scale. Yeah, uh, gotcha. It's kind of a mid-sized show in terms of the UK scene. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we have 30 odd traders, 25 games. Yeah, I've cool. uh, talks and um, different little flea market. I've tried to add more things to it to make it. Yeah. When, when is it run? Uh, November each year. Oh, the cool. The end of November. Oh, that's cool. Very cool. What is uh, it called? Uh, Battleground. Oh, nice. That's awesome. Very cool. Yeah, it, it just there were lots of clubs in the UK. Yeah. We were in Edinburgh yesterday for um, main, the main Scottish ball game show. And I think their club's got 70 members. Mm-hmm. And they're only one of multiple clubs in their area. Yeah. It's, it's very much a very compact, but vibrant scene in the UK, I think. Yeah, no, for sure. I'm angling to um go to Salute this year. Well, in 2024. Oh, okay. Yeah, like... Because my, I, I have like a dream for a gamer. Like I kind of have a dream jo- job where, because of all the gaming stuff I do in in the school, like they'll send me, believe it or not, like they'll send me to gaming conventions, and they kind of look at it as work, you know. Right. Which it is. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Like running games or like doing a talk about like the connectivity between games and education. Like it is work, but like it is pretty cool. So there is a chance. Um, depending on you know, I guess they're the South London. South Warlords, I, I, I always South mix up their name. Yeah. So I'm kind of waiting to hear back from them. And if they kind of give the thumbs up, I will more than likely be there. Do you go to that every year? Yeah, we're there every year. Oh, so sweet. Yeah. Have you been to any UK events? No, I, so I visited the UK a few times, but never for the, never for like gaming purposes. And I know uh, that your cons are a bit different and Salute in particular is different. So yeah. So Salute, uh, I think to, to the US guys, they find that very intense. Yeah, because um, your events, I think it's, it's sorry, fun. Is it three or four days? Yeah, five? we just had that. Yeah, it's it's basically Wednesday to Sunday, but it's just very different. It's more like you're going to that. Don't get me wrong, you're going to buy things and going to a flea market and everything. But the way that like you know participation games work in the U.S. is just so unbelievably different than the U.K. You know, yeah. so yeah. because yeah, salute's only one along. day. Yeah, and you guys go along with the gaming as the primary focus of the events. Exactly, play the games. Exactly. Whereas in the UK, it's very much the trade is the primary reason to attend them. Yeah. Salute. You will have next year, I imagine, about 140 traders. Yeah. In one hall, and it's just one big, massive hall. Yeah. You, I don't know how people manage to get around them all. You know, yeah. That must be major. draining for you, though, too, right? Because you are probably <laughs> talking all day long. It's a long day, and by the time you get to the hotel, you've lost your voice and you've been yeah. pretty sore. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, I always enjoy Salute. Some traders don't aren't keen on it, but I enjoy it as it's the one time in this industry where I think we get that the big day feel. Yeah, like it's a big, huge, like a proper convention style yeah. event with loads of people and loads of things to look at. And yeah, even the approach to it, you have to drive your van up and you have to get a ticket, and you drive up the ramp and then you unload. Yeah. It, it just feels different. Most yeah. of the other events are just 
it's a war games club and it's a, a gym hall or a school hall. And those are nice and you get a chance to talk to people and they're very much social events. Yeah. Salute, salute just feels like that's your big sales day. Yeah. And I like that. It's nice. Yeah. And by the way, since I've already insulted every, you know, music fan by not remembering that Sabbath was from Birmingham <laughs> here, let me make my next mistake, potential mistake. So jump in if I'm incorrect here. So um, it is in London, right? The is, salute yeah. is in London, right? Okay. Yeah. I love yeah, London. Yeah. London's really fun. So Yeah, it's, it's eastern London. So it's the old yeah. Docklands area that they've regenerated. So it's cool. really handy to get to, actually, in, in yeah. car, by train. There's an airport right over the river that you can fly straight into. I think no, it's cool. London airport. Yeah. Um, so it's really accessible. And we, prior yeah. to Brexit, without touching other politics again. Ah, uh, we so we're going yeah, yeah, we're we're to talk about that in a sec. There was a lot of European customers used to come. Maybe yeah. Not 30%, 40% of the trade of the customers were Europeans. Well, why don't we talk about that? Because I admire... So again, for our listeners... Um, if you go to uh, Pendrakin's website and you kind of look in their forums, um, this really like eloquent letter, I guess, Leon, you wrote it? Yeah. Yeah. So Leon wrote a letter kind of like to, um, you know, all of his customers and all the people that, you know, were followers of Pendrakin. And he kind of talked a lot about like the the state of, and again, he'll jump in and correct me, but like almost like not just the state of you know, Pendrakin Miniatures, but also like the state of trying to be a gaming company in the UK with all of these different issues, litany of issues that are hurting companies. Because again, um, I mean, God forbid this happens to Pendrakin. I, I mean, given how large your company is, like, I know for a fact that there are some companies that have been kind of put out of business recently because of all of these different financial issues with how you sell your miniatures, right? So I don't know, Leon, if you want to talk a little bit about that or shed a little light on that situation in the letter that you wrote? Yeah, I think I've been considering what to do for a while. And we've always tried to be honest with our customers. We've never shied away from things or hidden things. But I don't see the point. It doesn't really achieve anything. So it's best to just be open and honest with people. Mm-hmm. So, and, and, yeah, we've discussed it a bit internally. And it just felt like there's a lot of things that have happened really since the pandemic that have impacted all businesses and all people. Yeah. This is, none of this is unique to us. Uh, everybody in the industry, in the wider world, has been impacted by all kinds of things. It, it just feels like it's, we're hitting a bit of a, a bottleneck with all of these issues. It's all kind of come to a head. Um, and as a business, everywhere you turn at the moment, it's just another, another bill coming at you. There's another price increase coming at you. There's something else. Right. Uh, and I can't remember a point when when there's been less outside friction on businesses. Um, it's like you used to be able to come to work, and there's always been little fires and things that you have to put out, and there's little things that need to deal with. But you kind of get those done, you get back on with your day, you work on new ranges, you work on plans, you work on whatever it was. But these days, it feels like the fires and the issues are taking up more time than just getting into and running the business. Yeah. Whether that's, as as we mentioned in our little post, whether it's materials increases or um, government taxes that they're imposing on us or the impact of Brexit on the business or um, 
wage wages need to go up because you know there's, there's cost of living issues going on at the right. moment. Uh, living standards have dropped, and we're trying to make sure that we always keep look after our staff. It's, right. Yeah, there's just a lot of things going on, and you're trying to manage your way through them as best you can as a business. Uh, yeah, sometimes the best way to do that is just let people know what's going on, so that everyone's on the same page. Yeah, and that's really like so. Again, if 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 you go to Pendrakin's website, you'll see like everything that Leon's talking about. You know, he kind of put together in a letter. So it seems like um, it's pretty difficult for you guys to sell like internationally. Is that correct? Is that really where there's an enormous difference? Like selling to people in Europe. Yes. So that's really uh, where the main issue is. Yeah. So for people who aren't kind of up to speed on it, what Brexit was, it was the UK removed itself from the the European Union of countries. So 27 European countries had formed a union. It started originally as just a commercial union, selling things to each other without tariffs. Uh, and over years had become more of a political union as well. Uh, and there was a decision made in 2016 for us to leave that. Um, so we did. And I suppose this, it would be a bit like, I suppose, one of the states seceding from the union over there. Like if yeah. Texas just suddenly said, right, we're done, we're off, and, and off they went. Yeah, don't say that too loud because God only knows, you know, but <laughs> um, go but on. But that caused some friction between you know, Texas trading with the rest of the states. Yeah. Uh, and that's what we've got over here, where as soon as we left and the kind of the final deadline was put in place, from that point onwards, we, as the UK, are now dealt with the same as any other country in the world, really. So there's no real, we're not being treated differently. Mm-hmm. It's just that if you're in France, Spain, Italy, Belgium, Netherlands, and you buy from the UK, it's the same rules as if they bought from the states or they bought from Australia or bought from Canada. Right. So it's import duties and handling fees associated with that. And because of that, if you live in Belgium, for example, if you order forty pounds worth of Pendraken goods, when that arrives in your country, you will need to pay, I think it's twenty-two euro handling charge and twenty-three yeah. percent Belgian VAT on top of that. Right. So you're paying around thirty euros on a forty pound package. Yeah. Um so it's you know, you're looking at seventy-five percent fees on the item you bought. And obviously, as a result of that, why would anybody pay that? Yeah, no, for sure. So our average order is about 40 to 45 pounds. And those European customers have just decided that it's, it's not viable for them to continue buying from us and they're looking elsewhere. Yeah. Um, there are ways and means to get around this. There's a, the EU have set up a system for you, for any company. I think anybody in the world can register for this system. Uh, but of course, there are financial implications to that. Uh, you have to record all of those European sales. You have to submit them to the European, uh, to a European government and pay the VAT and fees and stuff. But of course, you're dealing with third party companies who do all that for you and they want their slice of the pie. So right. it's, it's about two to three thousand pounds a year in fees just to access that system. Um, and you need to have your website built. You need certain software in the website that works with that. So it's just, it's just a lot of complication. Yeah, uh, that probably didn't need to be. Uh, right. Uh, even if we, I mean, there'd be a lot of people who shouldn't have left the EU. But even if we'd left with some kind of a trade deal and kept ourselves within the, the single market and avoided all this, that would have been pretty good. But we didn't do any of that. So right. So here we are. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, I mean, in terms of, in terms of planning, you know, for the future, um, 
I mean, I would assume there's not really that many ways around this issue. I mean, unless you found distributors in those European countries to sell, I mean, is that kind of like a, a, a viable option? Like, for example, finding a gaming store or another company in Belgium who will sell your stuff? It is, yeah. You can do that. We've got a shop in Germany that do stock a few things. But by the time you've sold everything at trade, discount, we're not making any money on the sale anyway. Gotcha. Uh, and then you rely on that company being able to pull sufficient stocks that what is a very large product catalog. Yeah. Um, so the idea this was to move to a different website with the correct mm. features in place and the correct functionality, and then just pay this this fee to access the EU system and hope that our EU sales grow as a result of that, and it, it all becomes viable again. Right. Gotcha. So I mean, like, it does really sound like nobody really wins in the situation. The customers don't win. You don't win. So it's almost like, what is the, what is the sort of purpose? Like, is the, and again, not to get overly political, right? Because it's not really the point of this podcast. But I mean, what is the assumption that you know, you know, England, Scotland, like you know, all the different you know sort of components of the UK? What is the thought that well, you know, we'll just sell more things domestically and keep everything like all of a sudden gamers are just going to materialize out of nowhere and make up for the sales you're not making in Europe, like. Um, I think we're not getting too political. I'm not yeah, sure what the thought involved. Yeah. Uh, I think there was just a, we have to leave the EU at, at all costs. Yeah. That was their guiding light. And everything else was just sacrificed for that. Um, there wasn't really any sensible approach to how things could work. Uh, and that's left us where we are now. Yeah. Gotcha. So it's a, a real shame. I think, well, we, we'll see what the future holds. Yeah. But on the positive, right? I mean, it, again, in reading that letter, it does still seem, though, that you guys have a lot of really cool plans moving forward, that it sounds like you're not going to be, um, and again, jump in if I'm incorrect here, but um, you're not going to, you already have a whole bunch of projects that you had already been working on that are kind of in the works and you're going to kind of put out there, but you're not necessarily going to um, develop any new lines for a little while. Um, is that yeah. correct? Or, okay. Yeah. So all, all we're going to do is we're just going to pause new design work. Um, but because we're always at least six months behind on our projects, we, mm -hmm. we've still got things that we've been stockpiling for the previous yeah. six, twelve, in some cases four years for some of these things. Uh, yeah. Not being stashed up, that we'll just continue to release because they're already cool. paid for. Um, yeah. so we'll be able to go ahead with we've got a sci-fi expansion, um, launching six new sci-fi ranges, ready mm -hmm. for some new rules coming next year, so we can still do that. We're going to revamp all of our dungeon uh, modules because we've already got those in-house. We can just sort that out. Um, we've got some uh, a mine of Viet Minh expansion for mm -hmm. uh, the, the French uh, Indochina uh, wars. We've got, else have I got? got some Napoleonic editions. Uh, I've got half of some new fancy ranges. Some World War One trench systems that nobody knows about yet. So there you go. You yeah, cool. Them. That's awesome. Um, yeah, there's a lot of things that we've just we 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 previously paid for that will keep us turning over in terms of fresh product. Yeah. Um, but just without any extra outlay at this point in time. Got it. Yeah, and you know, for as a compliment to you guys, and also just to kind of keep you know, hopefully, as people are listening to this, they check out your website. I think what's most impressive about um, your company is just the amount of lines that you have. Like, there really isn't much. Like, if there's, I guess what I'm trying to say is that there's not that many historical periods that aren't represented in some way on your website. No, which no, is just certainly, awesome. Yeah, we've picked uh, most of the, the mainstream stuff, certainly. 
Yeah. Um, my customers will still tell me that there's a lot of gaps, though. I've got about 16 <laughs> pages of requests. <laughs> right. Um, well, you know how gamers can be. Like, I say this <laughs> lovingly. Like, we can be a bit specific, right? Yeah. Like, oh, I wish, you know, you would come out with this figure with a certain cuff that was only made yeah. in this particular year. It's like, just get over it. Like, you could paint the cuff on. Like, <laughs> you know what I no, mean? I've like, had, you can't have everything, but... <laughs> yeah, we've got some very specific stuff on there. I've got things that never even saw service. Uh, I've got yeah. one guy who said to us, can you make all of these vehicles? And he basically just sent me a, a, a Wikipedia list of every <laughs> SDKFZ251 variant in history. Yeah. captured, converted, all sorts. Some of which there was like three of them that the Germans ever had. But can you make a specific yeah. And knowing you, like, even though I don't know you that well, like, you probably answer, like, all your emails, right? Like, oh, yeah, right. to me, Everything. that's, like, insane. Like, how like how does, how do you do that? Like, also, like, again, no offense to whoever this person is, but, like, who sends an email like that? Like, who, who <laughs> thinks that a company is just going to stop what they're doing to, you know, help you with your OCD, like, you know, issue of needing every one of these vehicles? Like, that's impressive that somebody would say that. <laughs> I, I, I get it. I mean, if you're yeah. on a certain project and you want a certain vehicle, that is yeah. the most important vehicle for you right now. Yeah. Um, so I, I get that. And sometimes we have to have a discussion about, you know, the commercial viability of, <laughs> you might really, really want that thing. Yeah. Just anybody else really, really want that thing. Right. Leon, you sound like I sound when I talk to my students. <laughs> it's like, you are so nice, like, is, I guess what I'm trying to say. Um, yeah, well, so we, we, we keep request lists. Uh, yeah, yeah. Not all of them people can make their requests, and other people can add their votes to it. Yeah. Uh, the more votes that something gets, the more likely it is that we'll put it into production. Yeah. And you know what? I'm being mean. Like, on the other side of the coin, the, I mean, there is something to be said about, you know, for some gamers, like, the kind of devotion that they have to the industry that, like... Yeah. Yeah, they are, you know, if if you can sort of hook a gamer um to to your lines, I mean, a lot of times they will be devoted to you for a long time, you know. So there is yeah. something to be said about that. So normally when I end the podcast, because I'm just looking at the time, normally when I end a podcast, I, I usually kind of talk a little bit about um or I ask questions about where you're headed as a company. But I mean, it sounds like um you just gave like a really nice or gave listeners a nice sense of kind of where you're going. So I, I have a more straightforward question though, just backing up a little bit. So for those people out there that are not, they don't own, don't own their own gaming company. Like what is your average day? Like, you know, so you are in charge of Pendrocket miniatures. You wake up at whatever time, like what does your day look like? Is it routine or are there lots of fires you have to put out? Like what is, what is it essentially like? Um, there's a lot less room taking these days. It tends to be a lot of, just, just the current issues. But if we ignore those for a second, I guess um, the people that know me know that I'm not a morning person. Mm -hmm. So my working day is more like midday through midnight. Okay. Um, so I, I know a lot of our American customers are quite surprised when they get responses to emails at like 3 a.m. Well, time. no, that makes a lot of sense now because yeah. when I've emailed you, I do get those the, at, at like weird times. So that makes yeah. sense. Um, so these days, uh, I tend to get in check through the emails, answer any responses, uh, go through those, check in with all the different people in, in the business, make sure that everyone's on board, on track with what they need to do, if there's any queries that have come up, check with the packaging team, make sure there's nothing there that they need from me. Right. Uh, and then I'm getting to um, usually cleaning up figures for new ranges. That's, yeah. That's my main kind of time-consuming job, is just sitting and... Um, just to briefly run through how that works. So when you get a set of sculpts, you make a masterboard, mm -hmm. and that contains one cavity of each of those sculpts. 
you spin that off multiple times to create multiples, and then you separate those to make a production mold. Um, but this is, I always want to make sure we're putting out the best product we can, so when we get all those castings, before we make that production mold, I go through every single one of them and just check to make sure that each figure is correct. There's no little holes in them. There's no mold lines on them. Right. Um, and, and that's quite a time-consuming job, so I do that. I can imagine. Time. Yeah. Um, other than that, design work, uh, magazine designs, yeah, magazine advert designs, sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, social media, I look after all of that, so I do a lot of scheduling, social media posting. Yeah. Uh, rules, I, I, I do all the layouts and formats and the rule sets, so if we've got those on the horizon, I'll, I'll do a bit of work on those. Um, it tends to be a lot of just dipping in and out of multiple different yeah. projects. Yeah, uh, it's a lot I'm, of stuff. I'm, yeah, I've got a plan for next year that I'd like to have just one project each month. Yeah. So this month I'm working on that new range and that's it. Next month I'm going to work on that set of rules, that's it. Gotcha. See if that helps helps the process a little. Yeah, uh, but you know what's funny? I can see why you don't game though, because that's a lot of <laughs> that's a lot of stuff, you know? I, yeah, I, it's yeah, a lot that's of hours, you know, it's it's 70, 80, 90 hours a week that gets put in. Yeah, uh, but yet you you keep doing it <laughs> and you keep putting yeah, more time in. I mean, no, that's cool. Uh, I, yeah, I find I get a lot of satisfaction from and putting out a good product and having happy happy customers. Uh, that's kind of, I like that. I sort of, that's weird. But yeah. I, I, I no, it's I, not I, weird at all. No, no, I get that. Um, I just, again, like, you know, because I know in, in terms of, you know, wrapping the podcast up, um, and again, like, I think there's something really magical about that 10 millimeter scale. Like you were talking way at the very beginning of this conversation about how it kind of falls right between six millimeter and 15 millimeter. And yeah, they just look re- they paint up really well. They look really great on the table. Um, and again, like it must, um, be gratifying to, cause again, like uh, to not, to not, um, swallow your ego too much. I mean, I, I think of Pendrock and managers and I know a lot of other people do is like, you guys kind of are the 10 millimeter company. If you want 10 millimeter figures, unless you're not smart, like you should be basically going to your website cause you, you have everything, you know? So it must be gratifying on some level. I hope it is at least. Yeah, it's, uh, there's some things that you really like. Uh, we've had a couple of uh, games in museums. There was one recently. Uh, Little Wars is a Korea game with our figures in the Marine. Yeah, the yeah, National Marine Museum, and things like that are really special when you get yeah, to see yeah. figures in this this institution. Yeah, I just had them on on the uh, podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah, so, if you get a chance to listen, yeah, it was good. Yeah, They're really like good that, dudes. Uh, yeah, that makes you feel really nice that you've kind of achieved something, I guess. Yeah, we, yeah. We see these big bars of metal that come into the building, and then right. you send out little bags of metal, and then it's the customers that turn them into figures. You know, yeah. we, we're just providing you know, a, a little component in the wider right. scheme of things, and, and when you see them come to life on these tables, that's yeah, that, that's the bit that I like. Yeah, no, absolutely. And like I said, um, you couldn't have like a nicer group of guys to be. I mean, I'm sure tons of people out there are doing the same thing that the Little Wars TV guys are doing, but they have a, a knack for really highlighting companies and really highlighting what's so great about this hobby, you know, with like all their ability to like put videos out and really cool episodes. So again, it's a nice, it's a nice, nice partnership to sort of have, you know. So, um, so Leon, um. I really appreciate you coming on, man. I really do. And I hope that um hopefully the uh our our, our friends in London will think that I'm important enough to uh 
<laughs> bring 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 to your country so that I can talk about education and games and I can buy lots of stuff from you. <laughs> um, I'm sure they will. Yeah, well, you'll have to put a good word in. Like you're gonna have to like right now just shoot those guys an email and be like, look, <laughs> this guy, like you have to you have to bring him, you know. Definitely. I'll, I'll take Absolutely. care of that. We, we <laughs> Thanks, know everyone in the UK. It's all we, we all know everyone's fine. Well, you really do though. I you're probably joking, <laughs> but you really like all the manufacturers and all like, they all everybody seems to know each other, you know. Like I feel like every time I interview somebody, it's like, Oh yeah, I know that person. I know that person, you know. So but again, because it's such a small community, I guess, and we go to so many events that you do. You, we had dinner with three different companies on Friday night because we were all mm-hmm. in at the same time. Cool. Um, so we do that regularly, and it's it's easier to work with people and against people. It's yeah, easy. yeah. If somebody else does something very well, why wouldn't I go and work with them? Well, the other thing too. Um, is that it seems like there's so many companies in England that specialize in different miniatures lines. So it's like you guys are what I, when I think 10 millimeter, I think of you guys, when I think 15 millimeter, I usually think Peter pig first. And I had Martin on, he was great, like really, really great dude. So I don't know, like I said, kind of selfishly, I, you know, um, it would be nice to come to England just because I feel like, you know, everybody's kind of within a drive within reason, you know? And, and again, like the fact that you all come together, a bunch of times a year at these different um, cons, you know, to sell and meet each other and talk shop. It's really cool. So, sure. all right, man. Hopefully, hopefully we'll see you in about six months. Is it? Yeah, we'll, ha- we'll have to see. We'll have to see. Yeah. But uh, like I said, again, Leon, thank you so much for coming on. And um, to all uh, our audience members out, out there, I hope you guys have a good day. So Leon, have a good one, man. Thank, thank you for having me. It's been, it's been awesome. All right, man. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to today's 20 sided gamified podcast i hope you got as much out of the conversation as i did if you're interested in learning more about the organizations i work with please visit www.nextgengaming.org and www.nasada.org my instagram handle is hmgs underscore nextgen underscore inc until next time Be well, get some gaming in, and roll some 20s. Thank you so much.